0: I'm your host, Shwini Poo, in episode 292. I am joined on this Thursday night, uh, the night after the Knicks won their opening round playoff series against Cavs by my co-host, Prez. That is at underscore Presidente on Twitter. Prez, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing spectacularly. Thank you very much.
0: It's great to hear. Uh, Wouldn't have it any other way. Before we get started, I have to make a few announcements. The first being that the Strickland has an Instagram. Check that out. That is at the Strict Outland on Instagram. We are posting all kinds of new and exciting content on there. The, the Strickland also has a YouTube channel where you may be watching this podcast. If you are, please hit like and then subscribe to the channel if you haven't done so already. That would be a huge help to us. Furthermore, the Strickland has new merchandise, which I'm not wearing any today. Uh, oh, I'm I'm wearing merchandise, not Strickland merchandise. Uh, but I'm not wearing any of that today. Uh, but you can check it out on there. We've got hoodies, we've got T-shirts. We just dropped a new T-shirt, actually, uh, with all of the Knicks on there. It's wonderful. We have hats. There's all kinds of shit. Check it out. Uh, it's on the website. Anything you want, I'm sure we have it. The Strickland also has a Patreon, which you can subscribe to. There are a number of different tiers. There is a $6 tier that gets you access to Pod Strickland. This podcast I host every Friday with Prez. You also get access to the Strickland Mailbag, hosted by Andrew Steele, a.k.a. Doug, a.k.a. the Doug Bag, alongside Dallas Amico. That comes out every other week. You also get access to the Strickland Discord, where the conversation never stops. There are further tiers. There is a $9 tier. That gets you access to Girl, my solo pod where I rant and rave about the next even more. You also get access to wonderful premium articles by Matthew Miranda, one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There is a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, $100 tier. This comes with a variety of additional benefits like listening in our pod recordings, merchandise discounts, and even potentially co hosting a podcast alongside yours truly one day. Whether you choose to subscribe or not, none of this would be possible without you. So, without further ado, let's get started. The Knicks won their opening round playoff series last night in fairly dominant fashion. Uh they won 106-95 in Cleveland without the services of Julius Randle in the second half. Uh and they closed out the series 4-1. They win 2 of 3 in Cleveland in the series. They swept both games at home. They won 7 out of 9 against Cleveland on the season. Um Prez, tell me why actually the Knicks didn't win this series, but the Cavs lost it.
1: Sorry, I was about to sneeze. Um <laughs> why the Knicks won the series and the Cavs didn't lose it. Wait, what? I'm sorry. No,
0: that's the narrative that the Cavs lost the series, the Knicks didn't win it.
1: Oh. Yeah, that was dumb. Uh if you're if that's your narrative, you should rethink things. And that's not to say so all right, here's why. Broken down into parts. Number one, yes, the Cavs are a very good team, and we're the higher seed. Um, they had a really good net rating. They have lots of really good players, several all-stars, um, et cetera, et cetera. All Stars, etc., etc. All that's well documented. But uh, I think a lot of the statistics on their team as a whole are a little misleading, which is true of most teams because in the modern NBA, like there's injuries, roster changes, and net rating for a whole year if you think about it, it doesn't really make sense as a thing to cite, which is kind of what they cited. What was cited in defense of the Cleveland Cavaliers, um, you know, they had the the best net rating in the NBA. Um, but if you had your best lineup all season and minimal injuries, then that would mean your net rating would be really good. For example, the, net, the Knicks didn't have, um, you know, They didn't have their optimal roster until Josh Hart, and they didn't even have their optimal roster pre-Josh Hart till December. So season-long net rating would be misleading, right? You'd look at a team with a superstar who gets injured a lot. Net rating's not going to help because they're better than their net rating, right? So people should take that with a grain of salt. Further, if you look at the Cavs' net rating and record versus playoff teams versus non-playoff teams, they really beat up dominantly on bad teams and struggled with good teams. They also struggled on the road. These are all hallmarks of teams that um that may be shaky in the playoffs. And then when you look at what happened versus the Knicks, it kind of makes sense, right? Like they have a team that has certain strengths Right? Got two big seven footers who are mobile and good at defense, and two shot making guards who can take a lot of threes and pass and stuff like that. But they have no pivots. Their depth sucks. There's like the entire Knicks roster would be like their fifth best player. And that shit oh, matters. More than their fifth best. But yeah. More than their fifth. At worst, their fifth best. Yeah. And this is without even getting to the topic of who was the best players in this series, and we're gonna talk about that. But like, just putting that aside, um, like that shit matters. You need to be able to adapt to different teams in the playoffs, and because you you're gonna be matched up against one for a while for several games, and the Cavs in particular got a shitty draw when we got the five seed. I said it before the playoffs, and I'll say it again now. Like this team with dog at rebounding. They are dog-shit when one of their two bigs have to be essentially attached to an opposing center rather than roaming around. They're dog-shit when another team has ball-handling guards who can scorch their shitty defensive guards. And they're dog-shit against teams that can get you in foul trouble because they have awful depth, right? And the Knicks are great at all of these things. And... The fact that we smoked those motherfuckers without even having pretty much our best player over the season, Julius Randle, like playing well, like he didn't even come close to playing well, just shows you how much of a mismatch this was in favor of the Knicks. And all those considerations about net rating and matchup and flexibility, if you look at this Knicks team that entered the playoffs, I don't want to say, I don't know if dominant is the right word, but this was a really fucking good team. This team was closer to, much closer to a three seed than it was to a six seed in terms of, like, how this team with Josh Hart and Quentin Grimes in the starting lineup and Fournier and Rose Bench played. So, like, you wouldn't call it an upset if the Sixers beat the Cavs in five games. You shouldn't call it an upset if the Knicks beat the Cavs in five games. I think what happened was... I think a lot of smart people knew all of this about the Knicks, but because there was no proof of concept for the Knicks, they were hesitant to say the Knicks would play well. What baffled me is there there wasn't proof of concept for the Cavs either, right? Like, this is a young team that was together for the first time and had very clear weaknesses. Again, like, I'm not some magical basketball guru. I was able to discover this stuff in, like, a couple of days of researching casually after my day job, so during I, your I day think job, a lot. Really, you really during my day job, really both before <laughs> and after and during my day job. So it, you know, it was it. Another thing we've been saying all year is like, folks are going to look back on this team and be like, oh wow, there was a lot of good players on that team. Like, no wonder they were so good. But right now, a lot of the individual players don't really get the respect outside of Nick's fandom and some people on Twitter that they really should get. Um, and it's not like, like some of them are outright disrespected. Like Emmanuel Quickly is disrespected. But other guys like, like even like Josh Hart and Mitchell Robinson, like these guys, it's not like they're disrespected. It's just people don't really realize like, oh, these guys are hyper efficient two-way players who can change the game despite not having the ball in their hands. And the players we do have, with the ball in their hands, like Jalen Brunson, like this guy's fucking arguably the best isolation scorer in the NBA. If you account for like the shots he takes and how that matches with our offensive rebounding scheme, like just the results of his isolation possessions on a play to play basis. Like, I mean, playoff Kawhi is probably better. Maybe playoff, like, I don't even fucking know. Devin Booker, KD. like yeah, yeah. But I mean, he's, he's up.
0: He's in that conversation anyway.
1: He's in that conversation, right? Like flaws aside. So like this team is a, they, they fucking mopped up the Cavs, And, and the funny part, I, I, I'm very curious to see what the, um, the ESPN predictions are for this versus the heat, especially coming off Jimmy's masterpiece slash the bucks disaster piece of a series. Cause I suspect you're going to see the same thing again, right? Like There's proof of concept for, like, oh, the mighty superstar carrying his team, you know, deep into the playoffs. And especially for Jimmy, who's literally done that, like, deep into the playoffs. And, again, the Knicks, like, is one series enough to convince all of these people? Probably not. So I bet what you're going to see when you see all the ESPN predictions is a lot of Knicks in seven, Heat in seven, Knicks in seven, Heat in seven, like that. And it won't be quite as one-sided as... um. Cleveland versus New York, where I think maybe three quarters of the ESPN people picked Cavs in six or seven and a couple picked the Knicks in six or seven. That'll yes. probably be like 50, 50 or something, but I don't think it's going to be close either. So this is a good fucking team. And I'm just really happy that other people are, uh, I, I hope that other people are beginning to realize it because this was not like, this was just a bad draw for the Cavs. Like the last thing I'll say is like, we fucking exposed a lot of the flaws of their good players. And someone like Evan Mobley, even on defense, like he's a monster, but he's really meant to like roam around and, and like deal with like, ah, lots of pick and rolls and ball movement and all that shit. He's not made for smash mouth, like guard Jalen Brunson and then guard Mitchell Robinson. Like that's none of them are built for that shit. They're built for other teams. The Knicks were a horrible draw for them. And uh you know, ignore regular season results at your own peril, man. Like not saying they're gospel, but like like they're data points and they do matter, and I think a lot of people ignored that.
0: Yeah. Um it's a lot of things you said there. Uh I think one of the thing people will just like there's just always gonna be this thing for the time being that there's just not a belief in like data is all great and statistical evidence is wonderful. And we believe in all those things Mm -hmm. until it's time to apply it to the Knicks. And that happens all the time. We saw that that happened with the six man of the year vote. Um, That happened. And I think, you know, fuck that. I don't really, I care about it, but like, I don't, I didn't really have like a, I know that was like a very passionate uh, outpouring of anger after the vote we knew was going to happen, happened. Um, But like, I think that was more evident in discussing this series than anything because honestly, if you looked at all the data, all of it, and you know, not just the overarching stuff where like, oh, the Cavs are the second best in the league. But it's like, yeah, they weren't good. Like you mentioned, they weren't good against the best teams. The Knicks were. They weren't a good road team. The Knicks were one of the best road teams in the league. Like The Knicks beat them three times out of four. The one time they didn't beat them. Kevin Love, who is no longer the team, hit eight threes, and the Knicks were playing Evan Fournier. They were starting Evan Fournier. They were playing Derrick Rose, and they were playing Cam Reddish. Three guys who are no longer either playing, and one who is not even with the fucking team. Um, they didn't have Josh Hart in that game. Like they didn't. Like it, it's just all these variables. Grimes didn't play that game. Like they, you know, there were all just all these variables that existed in the one loss that were not applicable to this team anymore, and like. That's why, like, I've had, like, multiple people DM me that are not Knicks fans and be like, why do you guys, why do you keep, like, listing stats from, like, December 4th on? And I'm like, well, let me tell you a story about how Tom Thibodeau grew up one day. Uh, no, but, like, that's, like, obviously when things changed, you know? A lot of things, things done changed. Um, but, like, it, you know, you, you change the entire rotation, then you add a piece, like, heart, and, like, all the stat, all the data from that point onwards paints the Knicks as as good if not a better team than the Cavs. Net rating, offensive rating, defensive rating, fucking, you know, uh defensive rebound percentage, offensive rebound percentage. You name it. Like even the shooting numbers from that point forward, the Knicks were basically like the 11th or 12th best shooting team in the league from 3. After that point, the efficiency of the offense climbed. Um Everything, everything was different, and then you, and then if you take the sample from when they got Josh Hart, I mean that that paints the Knicks not just as a, a really good team that is you know a fifty fifty five win team, but like an elite potentially sixty plus rate win team. And I'm not saying that's a hundred percent accurate either. That's a smaller sample than the one I said from December fourth. But the 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 reality is like clearly they've found something and they've tapped into something that gave the Cavs problems and people wanted to deny that or they wanted to dismiss it and it became like there was all oh, depth doesn't matter that much which might make sense in some concepts if your top end talent is truly elite and this is where the entire argument fell apart like Donovan Mitchell had a top 10 player regular season he had a top 10 regular season of all players in the NBA this year there's no question about that he is not a top 10 player He's not. I'm sorry. Like, if you went. And that's not not even like a. a No, it is a fucking insult. Fuck him. (laughs) I'm insulting him. Fuck him. And fuck all the people that were acting like, you know, fucking the world collapsed the day that we didn't trade everything. Oh, my God. They didn't trade RJ Baird and Emmanuel quickly and all these picks for Donovan Mitchell. What they could have been. I had to hear that for, like, not even just the first 23 games of the season. I had to hear that for, like, Seventy games until the Knicks were so clearly like, okay, they're gonna clinch the five seed. That you know, mentioning that constantly just kind of seems stupid. Um, but like, no, fuck that. It is an insult because it is insulting to me the way people were acting about trading for this guy last off season. It was insulting. Like, oh my god, do you have a chance to get this guy? You gotta do it. You're like, what the fuck are we talking about? Like, we talked about this at that time. How do you not learn anything? from the Carmelo Anthony trade. How do you learn nothing from that? You learn absolutely nothing from that. Really. Like that's what, that's what like a significant portion of the fan base and a lot of other fucking people that were, had a lot of fun trolling the Knicks when the trade went down, he got traded to Cleveland. That's what like, they just ignored or didn't want to believe or decided it wasn't important anymore. And he's not Carmelo Anthony. He's not as good as Carmelo was. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. Like I'm not even some big Melo fan. I'm, I've, sh- I've made fun of Melo all the time. The Melo-Knicks era, which was, like, the most sad time period to call an era ever, maybe. Like, this era where we won one playoff series. Great. Awesome era. Um, like, no, like, it, it was just stupid. He's not a top-ten player. Top-ten players don't get their ass handed to them two years in a row in the first round. They don't. I'm sorry. I don't give a fuck what excuses you want to throw out there for me. That is not a top-ten player. Not like that. And if like he, he like I, we can, we can just fucking, I can start listing names. Giannis, which maybe today's not the right day to bring them up first. But Giannis, Jokic, <laughs> Butler, fucking Tatum, Kawhi. Kawhi, LeBron, AD is better than fucking AD, AD, injury, the guy that tears his fucking Achilles in the first quarter, comes back in the third every game. Like he is better than him. I mean, I can literally go on and on and on. If you just keep, you can name 15 guys easily. It's not hard. It's not hard. He, he's not that guy. I'm sorry. He's not the guy that you have to pretend you have to sacrifice the fucking farm for. And so, like, he's a, he is a really good player. He's a perennial all-star. But there's a difference between true perennial all-NBA, top 10, borderline MVP guys, and perennial all-stars. And, and if you gotta you,
1: know, you got. If you don't know that difference, if you don't you know that difference, around and fuck your franchise up. <laughs> if you don't
0: know that difference, then you probably are just a fucking idiot. Like I don't know what else <laughs> to say about that. Like if you don't understand, and if you don't think there is a difference, then you actually have no idea what you're talking about. You don't. Like you hundred percent have no idea what you're talking about if you don't understand that difference, Donna Mitchell. And I and I still think I still understand. And I still I'm not gonna hindsight, you know, oh, the Cavs shouldn't have done that. Like, I get why they did it. Okay, I do. Darius Garland, I think he's a really good player. I think he's going to be a hell of a player. I think he might actually become a perennial all-star. But guess what? He's not that guy right now. That's okay. He's a, what, fourth-year player? It's okay if he's not that guy yet. But it's also okay to say that he's not that guy yet. And Allen he was a fucking all-star injury replacement. We're gonna start calling him and look. Oh, they got four all-stars. This is one of the four. The fucking guy got the d you know, uh, injury replacement all-star award. Congratulations, pal. Uh, and then and then and then they're calling Mobley an all-star. How is Mobley a fucking all-star? He hasn't even made an all-star team. We're just calling him an all-star because we all think that he has all-star potential. Like it is, it was, it was ridiculous the way
1: all of it's it was. It's okay frank. to wait for him to actually make an all-star. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think he's going to be awesome.
1: I've like, I've gushed about him yeah. profusely. Swin DM DM to me about Mobley all the time in that draft. <laughs> yeah, I like, I I
0: love him. I still think he's going to be great. I and I think this series, like, it's a good experience for him. Now he knows that he he's, oh, yeah. he's going to go to the summer. He's going to go into the summer. And he's going get to get his
1: PEDs. Yeah, he's
0: going to get on those good PEDs. He's going to go, you know, he's going to sign up with Clutch, get the hookup from Bron. Uh, you know, he'll be start, he'll start eating his Wheaties, start just, you know, pounding fucking protein shakes every day, like 15 times a day, whatever. But like it's going to be a good experience for him. Okay, and it's a good experience for all of them. But you know who else is a good experience for? It's a great experience for the Knicks. And this idea that the Knicks were like this, it's not even like, it was not said explicitly, but the implication when you're saying like, oh, the Cavs are so inexperienced, it's like you act, they're acting like the Knicks, they went up against this Knicks team that is just filled with like grizzled veterans. Like this is the grit and grind Grizzlies or something. No, it's not. Okay. I want to, I want to like Donovan Mitchell. I'm pretty sure about this. I haven't even looked this up, but you can double check me while I'm talking. Donovan Mitchell, I'm almost positive by himself has played more playoff games than all of the Knicks put together. Okay. He has been in six consecutive playoffs. He's been past the first round twice. Never made it to a conference finals, unlike Jalen Brunson. Um, had to get that in there. He,
1: he, here, here, real quick, here's an example of what Shun's talking about. This is from The Athletic, from an article called Let's Have the Uncomfortable Donovan Mitchell Conversation. It says in the second paragraph, The the Cavs' playoff life aged faster than dog years, and now it's already over, blown out of the postseason by a good, not great Knicks team that pushed them around and imposed their will on a young team making its first trip to the postseason. First of all, if we're good, not great, and we fucking spanked the Cavs... Yeah, what the fuck are you then? Then you're like, you you, you need to explicitly say like, oh, this team... This is like Paper the tigers. Team.
0: They're paper yeah. tigers.
1: That's what they are. Or they're... paper tigers.
0: That's what and that's and what, they're not. And that's what I said before the series when we had Jordan on. Like I, I didn't say they were paper tigers, but like I w- I thought their metrics are juiced. They're artificial. Like you are great at beating the shit out of mediocre to bad teams, and you're not so good when the talent level evens out. That
1: says something. Sorry. Or ahead. when the road environment is hostile. Yeah. And also says that you're healthy, which is. That's good. That's great, right? Like that's fine. Hey, the I, Knicks' value the that Knicks have been healthy as well. Yeah, You're right, right. But like, let's not be. It, it it goes back to something you mentioned early on. It's just like the sincerity of when to use metrics and when not to. It's it's a lot of, you know, analytics is all is all cool. Like, oh, teams are so cool. Toronto's so fucking cool when they win the possession battle, and you know, all these other teams taking advantage of analytics over the last few years are so cool. But the Knicks. Like, nobody, it it still pisses me off that nobody refers to the Knicks as like a cutting edge, analytically based team. They've found a
0: massive market inefficiency. They've leaned into it. It's not particularly beautiful to watch. I agree with that. But who gives a fuck? Like, I didn't find the Houston Rockets to be a very fun team to watch during the Harden years. And I was told constantly, well, who cares? It's very effective what they do. Well, who cares then? It's very effective what the Knicks do.
1: Uh, It's going to be funny because next year the Knicks are going to probably largely run it back with largely the same team. And I don't want to talk about like off season decision-making right now, but just regardless of what happens, it'll probably be like 90% the same team. And with this team that is like health willing, this team is wired to win 55 plus people are going to just be like, Oh shit. Like they, you know, like, Oh, they, they found it in the playoffs and it's like, no, they, actually found it well before the playoffs
0: yeah and and so like you know you get all these framing of this series is like this oh like this inexperienced like Mitchell Robinson had never played a playoff game he never played a playoff minute a second before this year okay Quentin Grimes none Josh Hart none Isaiah Hartenstein, none Deuce McBride none that's five. I was
1: crying into a black hole. This, I'm not saying this would have changed the outcome of the series, but I was like crying into the void two years ago during our playoff run because <laughs> we didn't have Mitch versus yeah. Clint Capella, and now you see why that shit matters. Like, again, like that team was not gonna do the things I wanted that team to do, regardless for other reasons. Well, they were but just like, incapable at that point, right? Yeah. But like the role, like there's just certain guys who are good and are part of this team and again like you know opinions varied on on mitch's uh free agent deal and or extension rather and all that stuff and whatever but like it's good and the other thing i wanted to say about the framing that was frustrating to me is uh it it's very much a have your cake and eat it too thing with how i feel like a lot of people talk about the knicks because if the knicks really were like good but not great and you know, whatever, just mid. Like, then the framing for the Cavs, who everybody was like, "Wow!" Like, you know, top net rating and Cavs and six, Cavs and seven. Like, then why? Why is it not a colossal failure? Like, why is the expectation not like it should have been? Not like quite like a one seed versus the eight, like Milwaukee and No. Miami, it, it, it's
0: it's, just... it's a it's actually <clears throat> it is a no, it's an absolute colossal failure. You gave up.
1: Everything to get Donovan Mitchell, like you could have done that with Laurie. Yeah, you, you could, could have, have gotten whopped in five games with Laurie yeah. <laughs> and kept your picks. Yeah, and had options
0: to improve the roster this upcoming offseason. Like you don't have that now. So no, it's a massive, colossal failure. Anybody that says
1: otherwise is lying is, to you. It is. And now, yeah. now you're seeing that you're seeing some people say that, but I, it was just weird to me that it was never that sort of pressure. Or framing like, oh, like the Knicks are some fucking scrappy team and they're going up against this perceived juggernaut with four all-stars in the best net rating. And then you saw you saw in the predictions where it was like Cavs and 6-7. That was the first disconnect. Cause I was like, okay, the Knicks are scrappy and the Cavs are juggernaut, but y'all not y'all not saying Cavs in five? Y'all not saying Cavs and six? Y'all saying Cavs and Seven? Right? Like that was the first sign. And then just the the actual like qualitative narrative framing of you know, oh, this is two scrappy teams and defense first. And da-da-da-da. it was just like, oh, give me a fucking break, dude. Like, we're going to wax these guys. I'm so happy we fucking waxed them up. And to do it without, you know, Julius and Julius getting hurt and then getting hurt again, like, man, this was a fucking molly whopping, bro. Like, yeah, that shit was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, I still think about that. Like, I predicted Knicks of five, but like, I assumed Julius was going to cook. Like this yeah, was well. just, Ooh, this was, a, I also assumed Donnie would cook and look at that. So <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: and, and then just to go back to it, like <clears throat> Randall, had Randall, RJ Barrett, Emmanuel quickly. Those three guys have all only played in one series, which they played together five games. That's it. Okay. And the only guy that had experience that's actually in the rotation. So I'm not Evan Fournier, not Derek Rose, you know, none of those guys. The only guy that actually had experience in terms of playing multiple playoff series, that even been in multiple playoff, made the playoffs in more than one season, is Jalen Bunsen. That's it. Everybody else is either in their first year or their second appearance in the playoffs or making their debut. Like, this is a very inexperienced team. This is a very young team. In fact, they're, you know, look, I'm going to read this off. This is from... uh, <laughs> his at on Twitter is K. Danishevsky. His name is Kevin Uh He wrote this in his Substack. Uh, this is prior to the playoffs. So I'm just going to read this off. It's a bit of a paragraph here. Uh, the Knicks have the seventh youngest potential playoff rotation in the NBA, and that does not factor in 22-year-old Miles McBride, who may receive playoff minutes. If we only take teams that finished in the top six in their conference and avoided the NBA play-in, the Knicks have the youngest potential playoff rotation, with an average age of 24.77777 repeating uh years the numbers are just as impressive if you look at the youth of the Knicks' most impactful players among the teams that finished in the top 6 in their conference if you average if you average the age of the top 5 players in the team According to the Impact Stat Raptor, the Knicks ranked fourth out of the 12 teams, which is not quite as impressive. This drop-off is due to the presence of Josh Hart on the Impact Stat, who is the second oldest rotation player. However, Hart does not factor in as much on offense. And if you take the five players with the highest usage percentage that played over a thousand minutes for their team, the Knicks have the youngest bunch of any of the top 12 teams. The Knicks youth is clearly as an asset moving forward. None of the are important Older players are over 30, and they are tied for the most players 25 or under in the rotation among the tw- top 12 teams with the Kings. This team is very young. A lot of their young players are doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Like, don't, I don't want to hear jack shit about the Cavs in experience. Cause you know what? When, when, when people were talking about the series, Ain't nobody was talking about the Cavs in experience. Nobody was talking about that. All we heard was oh, top ten. Nobody's
1: top- talking about Memphis in experience. Yeah, yeah no,
0: no, just top end talent, yeah. top end talent, all this talent. Oh, the Knicks, the Knicks don't have a star. The Knicks don't have real game breakers. Their young talent isn't, you know, they they're not that good. RJ Barrett sucks. You know that. Maybe we said that, uh, but like, <laughs> you know, like like all these things were thrown out there, and all of it was turned on its head, and not even turned on its head. It just played out like in a way that. Honestly, wasn't that surprising after game two? I kind of like it's weird after game two. I kind of felt pretty good about where the Knicks were because they got the split. You know, weird game one is always weird because it's a game where it's like you know, you're feeling stuff out and it's your first look at each other of like what you're trying to do in the playoffs. The Knicks won that one, they lose game two, and the adjustments I thought the Knicks had to make were very much within their grasp. I was not impressed with Cleveland's offense, I didn't think I saw anything from. The adjustments they made in game two, that would lead me to believe their offense was going to all of a sudden ascend in some higher plane, uh, especially not against this Knicks team.
1: The hardest adjustment the Knicks had to make was can Jalen Brunson successfully pass out of a trap? That is something he hadn't had to do a lot during the regular season. But guess what? It's not a very hard thing to do. it,
0: It was that and it was basically just don't set. Every single screen, every single ball screen with your fives, and they they made both. That was one as a coaching adjustment, one as a Jalen adjustment. They made both of those adjustments. Neither
1: of those, yeah, neither of those were, were difficult. Yeah. with the Cavs adjustments, you're looking at things that are. bait It's like Jared, Jared Allen. Please be physical. Like no, like that's that'd be like me telling me saying like the Knicks need Jalen Brunson. The, ca- to the like Cavs didn't even to get ten rebounds. The, the
0: Cavs <laughs> needed guys to make. To do things that they had not done much of in the regular season, or to make right. leaps, That's which, are just, not, which right. are just not, which are not something that you can bank on, especially in the middle of a the cauldron of no. a playoff series. So, no. um, it, it was all ridiculous, and I, I had I honestly thought without Julius, I cause I didn't know if Julius was going to play. I kind of thought the Knicks maybe were were uh, were putting on a little bit. But uh, my what I said before the series is if the cat if Julius is healthy, Knicks win in six. If Julius is not healthy nicks losing six um i now feel that i never needed to say even if julius was not healthy i think the Knicks honestly would have won either way because they were just locked the fuck in and uh, the fact that julius played and aside from like a really good start to game one and then again a really good start to game five yesterday he was awesome yesterday actually it's annoying that he got hurt because it really looked like he had he was on, figured he was it out.
1: Double, double it up. Yeah. he had to fuck around. and got a triple. Double. I, he wasn't
0: even going to fuck around. He was just going to get one. Um yeah. <laughs> But like, it, considering his lack of contribution in the series, and, and the fact the Knicks didn't shoot well, you know, I'm just looking at the numbers, right? The Knicks had in this series. Okay. Um, this is just by, I'll just do this by field goal percentage. All right. Um, excluding mid mid shot, sixty four point three percent from the field. Josh Hart fifty six point one. Obi Toppin forty five point seven. R J Barrett forty four point one. Hartenstein forty three point eight. Brunson forty three point seven. Quickly thirty four point two. Randall thirty three point eight. Grimes eighteen point two. That's terrible. If you want to go by true shooting, um, you know true shooting. Josh Hart sixty four point five. Mitchell Robinson sixty point nine. Obis 56.4, RJ 54.2, Brunson 53.2, Hartenstein 50.4, Quickly 50, Julius Randle 43.5, Grimes 39.1. Like the Knicks did not score well. They had an offensive rating in this series of 111.1. That would have ranked right between the 27th ranked Houston Rockets in the regular season and the 28th ranked Detroit Pistons. Uh, Like it's they, they had a terrible offensive series and I actually think they got pretty decent shots. They just couldn't make a fucking bucket half the time, which part of it look is like the pressure of, I, I think some of this stuff is just like this series take on their own shape. Like I firmly believe if they were playing a series against the Hawks, they'd be scoring more efficiently on the same exact looks that they got in this series. Um, it just, it was a slow series a physical series, every sh- possession felt like a premium because of how good these defenses are and you are playing the best defense in the NBA in the regular season and I thought the Cavs defense was fine like I, I it, it was not it was not their ability to force misses that was the problem it was what they had to do to force misses and get the ball out of Jalen Brunson's hands and what that left them open to that killed them offensively and even right. that
1: people people forget that like rebounding is a part of defense right the, the Cavs are a great defensive team and in the regular season you're not gonna face many teams that can really punish you on on the glass like the knicks can so you cannot can just you
0: you can't just rebound better like th- this is like a fundamental you thing you can't turn that on yeah. right yeah like there are thing like you can talk about tactical adjustments and all these things rebounding is rebounding and it's why like i am i, I am like it annoys me to no end if a team is a bad defensive rebounding team, like more, well, not any team. If, if the Knicks were a bad defensive rebounding team, it bothers me more than anything in the world. I mean, look at early
1: in the year yeah. when we did, we did struggle. And I heart before he was healthy, was like number one Schwin most wanted posters littered about like fucking Westchester was just <laughs> Isaiah Hart and style his whack rebounding. But then now you look at, you go up and down this Knicks roster, right? Like RJ Barrett plus rebounder as a draft prospect, manual quickly plus rebounder as a draft prospect and a player. Quentin Grimes, plus rebounding for his position as a draft prospect. Obi Toppin's probably the only one who is like, eh, and he's not even like a bad rebounder. He's gotten better for sure. He has has, gotten stronger, right? Like, as expected. And Randall, like, plus rebounder, even though he sucks at boxing out, he's so jacked that it doesn't really matter half the time. Mitchell Robinson, obviously elite rebounder. Isaiah Hartenstein, when he was with the Clippers, great rebounder. Like, this is something that, again... The Knicks value this. This is part of Hart. what they consider Hart. Josh Hart. Hart. One of the Hart. Best yeah, I mean,
0: position rebounders in the entire league.
1: Yeah. The only exceptions to this are really Fournier and then Cam Reddish.
0: Well, yeah. <laughs> Even was, going
1: back last year, like yeah. Taj Gibson, Uncle Taj was a great rebounder.
0: Yeah. So I, I just like rebounding is just a thing that you either have or you don't. There is no like,
1: you can sit there and talk about like, Oh, we got the punch. only way to get better at rebounding. There's only two ways you can get better at rebounding, and none of them happen overnight. One of them is you get a lot fucking stronger, right? Like we saw with Mitch, like we saw with Kristaps, um, and then you go from a system where you have to rebound the ball more or box out more or less, and to a a, a system that allows you to rebound more. So, for example, like for people who don't know. You might be wondering, you know, Mitchell Robinson gets so many offensive rebounds, but he doesn't get defensive rebounds like Andre Drummond or something like that. Well, the reason is because Mitchell Robinson and Isaiah Hartenstein lead the league in box outs because their job is to box out the very large person. And then Julius Randle gets the second largest person and is 99.9% of the time a lot stronger than them so he can muscle the ball away. Or if nobody gets it, Julius Randle can grab the ball and then... Get the fuck up court and just start the offense himself. So, like, that's intentional. If Mitch was on like another team, he'd probably average like 15 rebounds a game or something like that very easily. And this is all, th- those are the only things that can happen. Chris Depps went to the Wizards, got bigger, played center, therefore was near the hoop, therefore became the rebound guy, therefore got more rebounds. And guess what? Jared Allen, skinny. Evan Mobley, skinny. Like, they love to contest everything. On top of that, they love to contest everything. And the funny part is everybody praised them for it, you know, and rightfully so, because that's one of the things that makes their defense scary, is these long fast guys flying all over the fucking place. But guess what? If you're flying around, that means you might not be near the rim. That might means you might not be in rebound position. So that comes with a trade off. And it was just really weird to act like these trade offs like didn't matter. Like, oh, the best defense in the NBA. Well, yeah, sort of. You know, like usually the best defense is, the best defenses in the NBA, if you go back through the years, uh don't really give up rebounding. The only other defense I, I can think of lately that was super elite and sucked at rebounding was like some of these Boston teams. But that's really it. Yeah,
0: I mean, I just I just go back to this, like <clears throat> there was nothing for the Cavs to adjust to. Like they couldn't get better at rebounding, they could not suddenly become this. Like people, like this is the thing that people were saying. Like, oh, the, the no, look at the Knicks. They're setting all these guard wing screens. This is so wonderful. This is so great. They, they had been doing this sporadically and more increasingly as the season went on. And it's a thing that they've worked on. It's a thing you you can't just all of a sudden become a good screener. That's not how it works. It's a thing that you have to develop and a thing you have to commit to. And the Knicks did that. And, like, you saw it pay and reap dividends in the series. And they didn't even shoot that well. But, like, you saw when they needed buckets, when they needed to force Cleveland to put Cleveland in tough situations, it worked. And, like, that's because they had Emmanuel quickly setting screens a lot this season. They – Josh Hart has been setting screens for years. You know, they had R.J. Barrett set screens for ball handlers this year. They had, like, Grimes – set screens they had guys go screen they had all these dudes do the, do these things so this is stuff they worked on and actually if you go back and watch games four and five it's funny because like we were like oh this, why don't they have why don't the Cavs have like Donovan Mitchell and Garland screen for each other and stuff they did it didn't work Garland picked up an offensive foul yesterday trying to do it because he got so annoyed that quickly was like in his path to setting the screen He just shoved it you know like it's not easy. It's hard actually. You have to disguise this stuff. You have to get used to it. And even when you're used to it, like you know, like it's not like every screen the Knicks set yesterday was perfect and had the no, but what oh, this screen didn't work. Okay, now this guy's gonna come set a screen. Oh, I'm gonna run this. Like you have to know those things. The Cavs didn't have that. And part of that's coaching, but part of that's fucking personnel. You know, part of that's just personnel. Sorry, Darius Garland is just not gonna be a great screener, probably. It's not gonna happen. And, you gotta work on it over yeah, time. Yeah. Maybe one day, but yeah. And not right now, <laughs> yeah. And and Evan Mobley is a stick figure. He's not gonna be a great screen setter right now. Like, I'm sorry, this entire thing of like the oh, oh Bickerstaff left these things on the table. We I can sit here and talk about how you want, but like they had no tactical pivots, and this was the entire reason I thought they were the best matchup for the Knicks in the first oh, yeah. round. And we talked about this all season. Not just like this wasn't like just when the series was around the corner like we were talking about this months ago where it was like yeah no if we get cleveland that's like our best
1: matchup for sure it was yeah we we were talking about it because right. it would I, just be sweet but like it was also the tactical reasons yeah, like and, you're saying
0: and that's even before we got josh hart i think like we saw that in the very minimal minutes that deuce got he's like he is a re- like this is a great matchup for him because they don't have wings so you can just have him out there and if they want to run a pick... Nobody a,
1: can take advantage of Deuce on yeah, the Cavs.
0: Yeah, and it's like, so that that's just what it is. And, like, you know, you can divert and Okoro and this thing and that thing. It doesn't matter. Like, and, and Deuce the difference... is locking
1: all those fucking guys yeah, up. Though. And
0: and the difference between the Knicks and the Cavs is very, very basically this. I'm just going to read this off. This is from Ace underscore Zulo. That's our good buddy DJ who does... At tweets, uh, he does them for himself, he does videos for himself on YouTube, and he uh, also is a Nick's film Nick's film school contributor as well. Um, this is what he wrote. This is from Twitter. Uh a defensive close. NYK small ball lineup, Brunson quickly, Barrett Hart Robinson played the last nine thirty-nine. Some numbers. Cavs went five for fourteen from the field, one for eight from three. New York rebounded sixty-nine percent of their own misses which is insane. That is insane. 69 offensive rebound percentage on their own.
1: The, the Cavs in had Hale. no like, soul yeah. by that time, bro.
0: 60, 69% of their own misses. And then New York rebounded 78% of the Cavs' misses. So the Knicks were getting a rebound on over two-thirds of their missed shots down the stretch, and they were not getting punished on the defensive glass by Cleveland at all and that is with a small ball lineup with Hart at the four playing brunson and quickly together two undersized guards and whatever that means i don't i still don't understand why quickly is an undersized guard um and and like they couldn't do anything and so like that that's not to say that this lineup will be you know this is like some like oh it's the like warriors death lineups like no it's not that. but the fact that Knicks have that 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 is Uh, an option they have at their disposal just like we saw at the end of game four they have the option of not closing with Randall and closing with Obi instead and you know selectively subbing out quickly for Hart and selectively subbing out uh Hart or Mitchell Robinson in for Hartenstein like they have options they have depth they have different lineup and lineup constructions they can put out there even if we, I think everybody would agree that Tibbs doesn't necessarily lean into small ball stuff.